0: email every Friday, talking about what they've done, where, they, where they're at in ministry, things like that, and, and they're, they're really getting quite busy. They're going around the different villages, different places in Ramper Hut, and uh, having like, um, we, we would call them like um, sidewalk Sunday school kind of thing. They, the kids come to the house also, and they, they, have, um, they teach them English, and they use the Bible to teach them English. You have to remember, this is still not a pro-Christian area they're in. Still got a lot of hostility that, toward Christianity and things like that there. And, uh, and so our guys are teaching them English and, and uh, getting quite a crew of kids, um, as you can see here. And, and I got a bunch of pictures. This is only one area that they go to, one group of kids. There's four or five different areas they're going to right now and groups of kids in each one of these. Um, why don't, uh, let's, let's look at that video of them singing. Okay. So, uh, we're proud of our guys. We're, 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 they've got the paperwork finished, we're ready to buy the motorcycle now. Now it's just a matter of getting the, um, the money to them to buy the motorcycle. That, that seems like it would be easy, but it's not. Uh, we have money in the country, and we, need, we can buy the motorcycle with that money, but it's not as easy as it sounds. So we've been working on that these last couple of weeks, and I think we'll be able to get that done either this week or next week. Um, we, we've got two motorcycles that we're looking at that they've, they've found for us and things like that. Um, it's, it's kind of exciting, though, to, to see this and to know this, uh, see everything that they're doing. They, they, the building, they're about to put the, the uh, roof on the top floor, the second floor of the building, so it's all, it's all still moving quite um, quickly. I did have uh, one more picture to show you. All right. I just thought you guys might like to see. You haven't seen a picture in a while. And you need to see that. Every time I look at her, I always think to myself, she just needs me to hug her. I only got one granddaughter, so. All right, this is continuing with this uh, series. That uh, this is kind of the end of it, and 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 if you look at all the subjects, how they work, they're not they don't they don't go into the next subject. But when you look at it together, you can see kind of a comprehensive mentality. When we say I believe in God, what does that really mean? Um, do, as I've as I've talked about over the last few weeks, when you say believe in God, there should be some differences be differences about you in different areas, different things. Looked at relationships. You should look at relationships differently. You should look at people differently because you belong to Jesus Christ and you say, I really believe he's God. I believe he's real. I believe he's in charge. That means the stuff of the word should be applied to our life. We've got to be careful we don't disconnect. and And we can do this very simple as humans. We say, well, I believe cognitively, but I'm not applying pragmatically. That's not you can't do that. You, you, that's not a real walk with Jesus. That's not really believing in God. And so um, everything about you, you, should financially, you should uh, look different. You should look different morally. You, 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 there should be a... This is one of the things that we kind of lost over the last decade or two, probably two decades, is the idea that when I, be, when I accept Jesus as my Savior and I know that he's God, that, that means his moral code, his, his laws apply to my life, and that we should morally be different we should be pursuing holiness. That's not a that's not a um, popular word too much in Christianity anymore. But actually pursuing holiness. Lord, if you if you want me to look more like Jesus every day, then I'm going to I'm going to I can't be doing the things that I'm doing because that doesn't look like Jesus. So there needs to be a good a hunger for holiness, a hunger for his spirit, all of those things if we say that we believe in God. And so looking at our our uh, vision for this year, really really focusing in and keeping that in front of us that we're really trying to pursue God. That we want to pursue God in in three basic areas. I mean, really, if you just say pursue God in all ways at work, but to to break it down, we want to pursue the presence of God, we want to pursue the will of God, and we want to pursue the power of God. That we want to we wanna chase after the Lord and the things that He has for us. He's got a lot of stuff for us. We want to pursue that, we want to chase after that. And so the question would be: are we all in? What does that mean? You have to really analyze that. There's only so much that somebody like me can say or do or whatever. There has to be a self-assessment. Am I really all in? What does that even mean when I say I want to be all in? Do I, do I, does that mean I give everything, I think everything? I mean, all in. How do you define that? Because that really determines how you serve the Lord, how you think about an all-in mentality, commitment, that kind of thing, will determine, you know, Monday. Or determine Thursday afternoon, that kind of thing, because, because you're defining how you're going to spend your existence. So I want to go to Genesis chapter 32, and this is, <clears throat> this is the story of Jacob, and now there's some interesting things about this story that if, if we were going to sit down, you, you know, I'll give you a little bit of insight. When it comes to interacting with God's word and how God's word processes into our lives what God is trying to do, I'll give you some things. Sometimes people say, well, I don't believe the word of God. It was written by a, a bunch of people. It's not God's word or whatever here's something to process. If you're a bunch of people writing a book for your religion that you want people to follow, you'd have to take about 80% of the Bible because it doesn't work. A lot of stuff in the Bible is not stuff where people go, hey, I can get on board with that. The only way that you desire to get on board with what the Word of God is telling us is because there is a, a, a decision you made before. It's a decision of submission to God and then his word becomes something that you want to at least mostly want to apply to your life. It's not something that you look at as an outsider and say, hey, that is a cool religion I'd like to be a part of. That's one of the ways, in my opinion, and, and, and their, their entire theological premise is written on this, is well. that's one of the proofs that the Bible is true and that it had to have been written by God, not humans, because humans wouldn't have put a bunch of the stuff in there. That's in there. It wouldn't make sense to do that. Even some of the stuff that Jesus says, he's not trying to get everybody uh, uh, to agree with his religious mentality. He's saying, "I'm God. Submit to me." And this is the details. Those are those are you got to be able to to separate those two to really understand certain things about God's word. And this story is a great example of this. That if if a human being was going to sit down and write this story, there are certain things in the story would be the exact opposite. Of what it is, specifically if you're trying to prove to somebody that the, the, that God is a guy you should um, pay attention to, and his word is important, let me explain that okay it sounds like I just said that you shouldn't that the Bible is not but you know so yeah now now we, now we cleared that up so let's go to Genesis chapter thirty two uh, verse twenty two during the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his eleven sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. Now, this is when Esau... Jacob's been separated from Esau because he lied about the birthright and all stuff, and Esau's mad. So he goes and lives in another place for about 15 years, and now this is, this is when he's kind of coming back and uh, sent messages ahead to his brother that he's coming back, and his brother um, hated him when he left, and, and Jacob hadn't talked to him since then. He doesn't know what's going on here. There's a really good chance, and this is the way Jacob, I would assume, would be processing this, that when Jacob... Um, when Jacob meets his brother, his brother kills him because he stole everything from him, he lied about, it, all this other stuff. So, so Jacob doesn't know what's going on here. He's nervous, he's worried about this, so he, he puts all his possessions, his wives and everything on this side of the river, and then comes back into the camp, and that's where we are in this, is the night before he's going to see Esau after about 15 years. Okay? So um, after taking them to the other side, he sent over all of his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. Now, this is, this, is, um, this is one of those things in Scripture, you know, to me, I think sometimes we just read past stuff, and we don't really process. This is one of those things when I hear tires squealing, stop, pay attention. What did you just say? Okay, he's sitting in the camp by himself. J- J- Jacob was all alone the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him. Like that happens. He's sitting in the camp. Guy walks in. He's like, hey, I, see, see, to me, shouldn't there be some more? Isn't there like a conversation first? Hey, how are you? I'm Jacob. Hey, I'm the guy that's going to wrestle with you. What? Does he come in with, the, with the, the little leotard on? I don't know. I forget what. Singlet? Does he walk in with a singlet? You know, I, the, to me, my mind starts building all kinds of great movie scenes that would make no sense. But this, I mean, think about this, guys. This really doesn't make sense. He's sitting in the camp at night, really contemplating, thinking, is this going to be the last day that he's alive on this earth? And a guy just walks in and just, what, barrel rolls him and starts wrestling? Is there a conversation? Is there anything ahead of time? How does At this point, I believe that Jacob still thinks he's a man. You understand that he's not a man, right? He's, at the least, he's an angel. Different people believe differently. I I would say, at least he's an angel. Most likely, he's God himself, the Son of God, Jesus, okay? That's what I would... If I had to... And when you go into the New Testament, it seems to say that a little bit, but, but uh, I think this is God himself. And so at what point does Jacob say, oh, this is no, this is no man I'm wrestling? Now look at what he says. He, the man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. He had taken his family across in the daylight, He's at camp. This guy walks in and wrestles with him all night long until day again. When the man saw that he would not win the match, that's a very interesting part of this story. When the man, angel, or God himself, sees that he's not going to win the match. So you're telling me an angel cannot beat Jacob. See, I think sometimes our brains, we uh, assimilate the, the, the story into our thinking or into a modern approach to this, uh, culturally we change some details because in my head when it says win the match, what does that mean? Does that mean they wrestled all night long but nobody pinned each other? Nobody got the better of each other? There wasn't a time when they got tired and rested? I mean, think about what we're saying. How, what, what is this little thing? It says when, when the man realized he could not win the match, what does that mean? Was he trying to pin Jacob? What was winning the match? How do we define winning the match? Who defines that? The angel? Jacob? What were the rules? Did they talk about that ahead of time? Nobody said. I, I know this, you're like, man, you just really over-obsessed about things. That's not what I'm trying to go with this. What I'm trying to say is there is a lot more to this moment, this story, this whole evening than just a guy walks in and starts wrestling. I saw a great meme the other day on Facebook that was inviting somebody to, like on the side of the road, invite people to come to their church, and it said wrestling and Bible study. <laughs> I thought, what? Well, I don't want to go. So I like the Word of God, but not that much. So when the man saw he cannot win the match, now I struggle with him not being able to win the match. If he's an angel, you're saying he can't beat Jacob? If this is God himself, you're saying he can't beat Jacob? That's why I need to know, what do you mean by defining? Because I think what happens in the next... A couple sentences here tells us who was defining what winning the match was. Okay, When the man realized he couldn't win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. There's a word for that in wrestling. It's called cheating. Right? Which tells me a few things. If this angel or God can just reach out and touch his hip and it wrenches it out of socket, he couldn't win the match? You can dislocate his hip by touching him, but you can't beat him wrestling. See, there's some things not matching up here. Because I believe that what was, how you were defining winning the match, I'm going to show you a video next week about what it means to not give up when it comes to this kind of mentality. See, I believe that what, when, the, when it says when the angel realized he couldn't win the match, I don't believe it was about pinning Jacob. I don't believe it was about that. I believe what, what was happening is Jacob wasn't going to let him go. Right? Let's say the angel does pin him. That's the way I would define winning the match. But but I they're not defining any of the, these things this way. How are they defining winning? I think every time something happened or the, or, or the angel got the best of Jacob or something at that moment, he gets up to leave, Jacob takes him down again, tackles him again. Because this isn't about a pinning to win the match kind of mentality. This is about who is going to quit. Who's going to give up? Is, is God going to give up first? The answer to that is no. But see, here's the thing. Is When did Jacob realize that this was God? Or an angel? When did Jacob realize this guy isn't a man? This is, this is the way I think it could have happened. I don't know. They're wrestling... Jacob grabs him and starts to just body slam him, and all of a sudden it's like, poof, the angel disappears, and he's standing right there again. At that point, Jacob's like, I don't think you're my end. You tricked me there. That, that's, that's the way I would have written it. So, like, I don't think that's in here. When he realized he couldn't win the match, he touched Jacob's hip, hip and wrenched it out of the pocket. So let me ask the first kind of set of questions that I think we had to process. When did Jacob realize this was a man? Because the next sentence says... Um, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So Jacob knows this is not a man any longer. See, see let me give this example. I've, um, the last handful of weeks, this has happened to me a few times, seemingly more than normal, at least seemingly very much up in my face. Maybe I'm paying attention more. I, I'm definitely praying more about these things. So, so maybe, but, but I, I, I'm going through life everything seems normal. Uh, I get to a moment, a a time in life, and I realize as a conversation begins to happen or something that God put me in that place specifically for that moment in time. Now, I believe that's going on with all of us in ways that we don't even know. or I believe that God is leading us and guiding us. If you have any heart for God, I believe he does that way more than you probably know or process. But these are very overt to me, and I'm, paying, and I'm seeing them as being that. I'm, one in my head, I won't give the details greatly, but in my head I'm, I'm standing in a place um, in Colorado Springs here, and a person walks into this place, and immediately I can tell that God has put this together, and I'm supposed to talk to them, and they walk right over to me and begin to have a conversation about very big stuff. Those kind of things is what I'm talking about. I've had that happen a a lot more in the last couple months than I normally have, all right? Now you say, what are you trying to get to? I didn't know that it was happening until it happened. Why is that important? Because this is the way I've heard it all my life, and I still hear it this way, and maybe this is just a lack of maturity or spiritual insight on my side, but it seems to me that, that some people walk around all the time saying, well, God told me, God spoke to me, God said this, God did, and I just don't, sense that as much or, or know that as much. Maybe I need to be more listening. Maybe I need to be more in prayer. I wouldn't argue against those things. But I think that, that I, I think God does these things. As long as we're going after him, as long as we're chasing after him, God puts us in these moments. And for me, I don't always know exactly when I realize that I've been wrestling with God rather than just going through life. I don't always know when that moment happens, but all of a sudden I have this epiphany. Oh, this is a God moment. Pay attention, Scott, that kind of thing. I didn't, it's not like I sit out that morning. Okay, turn right. Yes, Lord, turn right. Okay, now turn left. Yes, Lord, turn left. I don't do, I had a pastor years ago that said that this is why you should eat alphabets every morning, alphabet cereal, so God can spell out the words in your cereal and tell you exactly what to do. I'm like, that's a thinking man right there. Sometimes, sometimes people think like that. I mean, God's telling me every little thing. Should I go to the bathroom right now, Lord? Should I? I don't know. Should I? I think sometimes we can overdo that thinking, right? But I also believe that God is trying to talk to us all the time. So how do you balance those two? If you're pursuing God, if you're chasing after God with everything about you, you'll be amazed at how often you'll arrive at places and moments that God has orchestrated. You didn't see all the details and the moments here, and when I got in the car, and when I left, or when I drove over here, or when I said this, or what it did and I went by the bank first, and I, you don't know all that. But then all of a sudden, boom, you're at a crossroads, and God is meeting you right there with, with a moment or a circumstance or a person or something. And then looking back, and this is the easier part, looking back, I realize, oh, God did this and this and this and this. and I was explaining to one of these to Linda a couple of weeks ago. There's no way I should have been standing right there at that moment. There's no possible way. But I was. Because why? God's trying to do stuff with us all the time. So, so this, to me, is one of those moments. I don't think Jacob, when this guy rolled in and just like headlocked him all of a sudden, Jacob's like, oh, is that what we're doing? I don't think he thought that was God at first. I just thought, I think he's thinking... This guy's a little weird, but I can take him. You know, that kind of thing. And then all of a sudden, there became a transition. Hey, this is a God moment. And then we see where he says, I won't let you go unless you bless me. And guys, this is very important. Because how does the, how does the man of God, the angel, bless him? You say, well, it's the stuff that came after. But he dislocated his hip and it says later that he walked with a limp and everybody knew why. You realize that's part of the blessing here. This is one of the things that, that is so countercultural. If we were going to write the story, we would not write it this way. And so when, you, when people ask difficult questions, sometimes you can use this story as one of the examples. You mean that God does things sometimes that are painful and difficult for us and may even have lasting effects, we don't see them as happy and popular, but God is actually doing them? Yes. God dislocated his hip. There's no way you can get around the fact God dislocated his hip, and from then on, he walked with a limp. But from then on, that was actually part of testimony of that God's in charge of this thing. Now, here's the way that, that uh, Jacob could have kept from having his hip dislocated give up. Stop trying. Let the guy go. Let the guy win. But there was something within Jacob that said, you're not going until you bless me. And the angel says, all right. Blessing number one, bam. Right? I was thinking about this the other day. If I started naming all kinds of things, well, would God bless you by doing this? I'll give you a, a wart like this big around just right in the middle of your forehead. Would God bless me that way? I, God doesn't do that stuff. I can name all kinds of examples we would say, no, God doesn't, God doesn't, whatever in the case. But then, uh, what if? would God dislocate your hip? No, God doesn't do that, except he does. He did. I'm not saying that to say this is the way God does things. What I'm saying is the opposite. Don't assume you know how God's going to do things. Don't limit God to how you think it should happen rather than what he's trying to do. I was, I was thinking about this the other day. I've been, I've been slowly uh, thinning up here in the top of my hair. It's getting thinner and thinner. And I'm trying to figure out why. And so um, I think it's my shampoo. Something is wrong with my shampoo. In fact, I brought that up to our pastors here at the church one day. And I said, I think it's my shampoo. And Josh, I mean, most of the time he says smart things, but this just wasn't one of them. He said, is there the possibility you're getting older? I don't think that's it. I think it's my shampoo. So, so here's the thing. Would, would God make you bald as a blessing? Some of you better be saying amen. You better be open. You're like, I think so. I'm going to go with that. I mean, I'm just using silly examples, but you understand what I'm trying to say. I really believe that God wants to do a lot of things in our life sometimes, but we can only write the story to be some kind of really good, positive, uh, make-me-happy, maybe even materialistic kind of thing, and that's the only way God does stuff. Except there's plenty of examples in Scripture where God does something against the norm and against the way human beings would define as good. Not the way God would define, but as human beings would define as good and we limit God because we struggle with God just doing things that are way bigger than us and here's the weird part about it is it's actually directly tied with Jacob being blessed by the the presence of the Lord being blessed by God says I'm not gonna let you go till you bless me bam dislocates his hip and then he does something else and I love this he says what's your name Jacob replies Jacob your name will no longer be Jacob the man told him from now on you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and men and have won. You realize the, the definition of the word Israel actually means um, wrestling with God? I love that. So not only does God change Jacob's name to wrestle, and this is a blessing, this is a blessing, changes his name to wrestles with God. Not only does he do that, but this becomes the name for God's People. God's people are called Wrestlerites. That's their name. I mean, think about that. You say that doesn't quite make sense. Shouldn't it be blessed people or um, or are loving people or pleasant people or things like that? That's not what God named them. God named them wrestlers. Wrestlers with God because why? This is one of the things I didn't I didn't grow up this way. This was actually countercultural to the way I grew up. The idea that God wants you working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Working out. Not just taking for granted all the stuff that people are saying, pastors are preaching, guys are writing in books, people are saying on the radio, not just taking that stuff for granted, but working it out, getting in there and digging in and working and making something um, happen in your mind, and your spirit that says, who is God? Who is he? What's he trying to do? What's this, what's this Bible mean when it says this stuff? Don't look at the Bible just from the point of view of this is what I kind of think about it or know about it or the the Bible stories you learned in Sunday school. Get in and work that out. Some of those may not be exactly the way you processed it. I'm not saying the teachers taught it wrong. I'm saying I know this personally. Some of the things that I process over time is the problem. It's how I'm thinking about it. It's not the truth of it. It's how I'm applying it in my mind and my spirit. Work it out. Get in and wrestle with God. Wrestle out with the things with God. That's why when it says something like you can boldly come into the throne room of God, there, there's, a, there's a, a, a mental picture that comes along with that that says I can come in with with, with some kind of um, uh, of importance and, and purpose and, and uh, pointedness in there. Now, this is in no way trying to say be disrespectful or whatever. It's interesting. Jacob didn't dislocate the angel's hip. angel dislocated his hip. I think if if Jacob would have dislocated angel or Jesus' hip, if it's possible to dislocate Jesus' hip. If that would have happened, it would have been across the lines. That wasn't okay. You say, but it was okay for God? That doesn't even make sense. Anything's okay for God. He can do what he wants. What I'm saying is, do we rather wrestle this stuff out? Is this what this verse means? I need to know. I need to know what this, what this means for my marriage or my life or my family. Or, or I need to know. I need to wrestle this out. Get input. Definitely get input from other people. And, by the way, that input could be true. This, this is something that's very interesting about where our society is going right now. Um, so, so, so culture swings like a big pendulum, right? Back and forth. Does that every two or three generations, we see a complete turnover transition. You start kind of right back over where you were. And this, we're seeing this happen. And it's interesting to me because I'm getting to see it play out uh, in, in front of my eyes because I think it's actually happening quicker right now. Now, I think there's some biblical reason why that happens quicker. Scripture says that when, the, that when we get uh, closer to the end times, knowledge will increase. There's a lot of things that happen. The way I look at it is a bottleneck. The, the closer we get to the end times, the more a bottleneck happens and everything begins to move faster. You know, if you're the, like, a, like sand through an hourglass, like the days of our lives, as the sand goes through the hourglass, when it's up here, it's not barely moving, barely moving, barely moving, but it goes quicker as it gets down through there, right? I think that's what's happening. So we're seeing stuff happen quicker. In the 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s, we saw this, this uh, cultural revolution in America. You know, sex is, is for everybody free, don't have to be married, all they can live with each other, whatever the case is. Morality began to change, all these kind of things. We saw uh, abortion quick on the heels of that made legal. All these different things happened. Literally in 20 years, society completely transformed in America. Less than 20 years. Then we saw it get more and more immoral, these kind of things. Now we're seeing in the under-30 crowd, and even down into the, the high school teen years, we're starting to see another change where we're, where we're starting to see a lot more swing back into uh, conservative thinking, not, not politically conservative thinking, although that is actually being included. One of the fastest growing groups on college campuses right now are young conservatives. Okay? But we're starting to see this swing back the other way, where in, in my uh, time frame of high school... The, the, the idea that you would have a bunch of teenagers standing, well, the, my generation was still kind of coming out of it. Let me say it that way. Uh, nowadays, you're having a bunch of teenagers standing up saying, We're, we're not going to have sex before marriage. We're not, we don't believe in some of this immorality that's going on. We don't believe in this stuff, and we want to take a stand. Why? Because they're looking at their parents' generation, which is my generation, and their grandparents' generation, the boomers, and they're realizing they made some mistakes. Now, whether or not the new generation gets the right answer to what mistakes were made and what weren't, they they don't always get that right, doesn't matter which generation, right? My generations looked at my parents and grandparents, I don't want to be like them, and some of the things I didn't want to be like were correct. I was wrong, okay? But notwithstanding that, put that aside, this generation is saying we don't want some of that stuff. It didn't work out for you guys. How is that have random sex with whoever you want working out for society? How is that done for us? And so we're starting to see a, a, a swing back to morality and a swing back to conservatives. It looks different. It's morphed because every generation creates their own concept of that, but they're, but they're coming back, and I'm, I'm excited about that because there, there is a hunger for realness that hasn't been... My generation hungered for fakeness. Look at the hair and the makeup and the stuff that was my generation. We didn't, want, we didn't, know, we didn't even know who was under all that stuff. I remember, what, and now I've got to be honest with you. One of my favorite, Linda's got a picture of us when we were like engaged. We were 19 years old. That was a lot of hair. She had a lot of hair. And it was permed and had blue eyes and all this kind of, kind of stuff. I'm telling you, that is so hot. That is so, so hot. Every now and then, look at that picture. That's, whoo, look at that hair. Woo, like a big, okay, so. But but generation now is saying we want real. We haven't seen that in three or four generations. Not since like the, the World War II generation. I want real. We wanted plastic, fake, everything. McDonald's, microwaves, all kinds. I want real. It's interesting. Because e- even when it comes to saying, how do I look at this? How do I process this? I believe this generation coming up can have the potential. We don't know yet. We'll see it a decade or so from now. Uh, is is my generation and the, those a little bit younger than me, are we going to really guide this new generation toward really learning how to seek for truth? Not what truth is, but learning how to seek for it. Critical thinking. That's also gone by the wayside. Are we going to teach this generation to think critically? What is this really? What does this mean? This is... This is what Jacob is doing. He goes to this angel and he says, I'm not letting you go. You're going to have to bless me. You can say that you do whatever the case is, but I may not even be alive tomorrow evening. You bless me now. And all night long they wrestle with this. And God has named his people, people that wrestle with God. I broke this into three things. I'm going to add some of the scripture, but from this context, the scripture we just looked at. The first thing is, let's desire true blessing. Let's really work toward that. That that can be difficult. Our our human nature gets in the way so much. Let's really uh, desire true blessing. Not what we think we should want or need, but what God wants for us to have. There's no way if Jacob would have said ahead of time, okay, um, God, I'm going to wrestle with you all night. When this is all done, you're going to bless me. Uh, this is how you're going to bless me. He would not have put on there, dislocate my hip. That wouldn't have been part of his wish list. We can, if we're not careful, we can push God's real plan off to the side because we really want our plan. There's nothing wrong with having desires and things like that. We, we should, but learn as we grow up more as a Christian. We, we've got to learn how to say, God, I desire your plan, not mine. I desire your blessing, not my blessing, not even how I define your blessing. We wouldn't even have the book of Job in, in modern American Christianity. It wouldn't exist. We would have cast Job off to the side and done just like his three friends did. You're a horrible sinner. This stuff wouldn't be happening to you. When in maybe Job wasn't wrong. He didn't do anything. He did nothing wrong. But God said, this is going to be a little difficult, Job, but we got this. Same thing Jesus said to Peter. Peter, it's about to get rough for you, but we got this. Stick with me. We got this. That's the difficult part for us. Don't try to define God's blessings for you. Let God define what blessings are. It's not... Part of his blessing is Jacob limped forever. Romans chapter 12. Again, very countercultural to our thinking. So, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, Paul is begging them, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all he has done for you. Let them be a living, let your human physical bodies be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. Do you understand he, there is a difference between what God finds acceptable and what we find acceptable? What does God find acceptable? When we crawl up on the altar and say, God, my body belongs to you, my physicalness Belongs to you. This is one of the reasons that there there are some sins that are physical sins, and we've got to stay away from them because they affect us physically. Now, there's all kinds of things, mental, um, uh, relations, all kinds of stuff, but but just one category of how physically we do things. We've got to keep our bodies belonging to the Lord because they're a living sacrifice. That as we're walking around. <coughs> Excuse me. As as we're walking around through life, we are being a, we are sacrificing ourselves to God, and He will find that acceptable. Which means if we're not, that's not acceptable. And I, and I believe you can be a Christian, and the way you're living your life still not be acceptable to the Lord. You've got to be working at that all the time, sacrificing your existence. Lord, this isn't about me; it's about you. It's what John said that I may decrease, so that you may increase. That's got to be constantly our thinking, our process. Because why? This is about Jesus. It's not about us. It's about serving him. It's about his kingdom. It's about his existence. And we are his servants in this thing. So he says, I plead with you to give your bodies to God for all he has done. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Now, when we think about worshiping, that's not the way we think. I've I've been to many worship conferences over the years, and I've never been to a worship conference where the whole entire thing was, okay, we're going to get before God and just pray and and sacrifice ourselves to Him and surrender and submit to Him because that's how we truly worship. I've never heard that. It's all about music, styles of music, how we're going to lead people, lights, cameras, action, all the different things that are involved with this so that we can have a great experience within the building. Is worshiping musically with each other part of worship yes it's a small part though it's an important part corporate worship is very important but it's a small part and i think sometimes we can put too much emphasis on the the uh, actions that we take what what outwardly we're doing rather than what's going on on the inside he says this is the way you really worship god you surrender yourself you sacrifice yourself to him that's true worship this is the way i always think about it which would you rather have? For, for your uh, special someone that is your girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife, whatever. He, what would you rather have? Them tell you to your face, hey, you're pretty awesome. You're amazing. You're wonderful. But then when they leave you, they act like they don't know you. Act like they don't know anything about you. Somebody comes up and says, hey, are are you married to so-and-so? Um, well, you know, yeah, I can't, yeah I'm in. I'm not like crazy about it, I, know. I, mean, I, just, I don't get fanatical, but yeah, I mean I, yeah, I guess I'm, yeah, sure. Would you rather have that? Or when, when they're face to face with you, whether they say you're awesome or not, but their entire existence about you, time they're away from me, they brag on you. They, they, they're excited just to have, have the opportunity to be yours. And everybody knows it. Their lives are about it. They wear t-shirts that have your name and picture on it. <laughs> I mean, you understand what I'm saying? There's, we actually look at this the, the opposite in Christianity. We think that worship is coming into the church and saying, God, you're amazing. I worship you. Hallelujah. Praise your name. And then we go out and we're like undercover, incognito, secret. Nobody knows we're Christian. And I wonder how God thinks about that. It's like, what, do you love me or do you not? Do you, worship is not saying something, it's who you are. He says, when you become a living sacrifice, this is truly the way to worship Him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Why? Because the more you're trying to look like the world proves that that's who you're in love with. The more you try to look like Jesus proves you're in love with Him. Don't, don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Changing your worldview, changing the way you think. first time I came across this, and it really it wasn't me personally that it really it's he'll still have stuck with me to this day. Um, <clears throat> I became the youth pastor of, of this uh, church in East Texas in nineteen ninety three four something like that and um and there was this guy that was in the church, he worked in our sound booth and he did a bunch of stuff he was on the leader men's leadership team, all this kind of thing and uh, one of the nicest guys you'd ever meet i i was he was just such a nice guy. he was a big mountain of a man because he used to come hug me sometimes. And squeeze me in close and catch me right in here and it's cleavage and squeeze me in. I hated it. But either way, nice guy, wonderfully nice man, gentle, gentle, gentle man. So I went out to his work one day, and uh, this was at a big paper mill, and there was a bunch of guys out there, and, and uh, we were going to have a like a uh, prayer breakfast kind of thing after the night shift. And so I go out there, and there literally like a couple hundred guys at this breakfast, and... Uh, I'm walking around, and we're in the area that uh, this, this one guy worked. And, we're in, and one of the guys said, so you're, um, you're so-and-so's youth pastor? And I said, yeah. And he goes, man, he sure is an amazing guy. I said, yeah, he's just the nicest guy you'd ever meet. I mean, he's just a good guy. He said, you, used to see, you, you should see how he used to be. I thought, what? I couldn't see how used to be for him. This is the only person I could see. How could you be anything? He said he was one of the meanest, cussingest, used to beat his wife. What? I couldn't put the two together. I asked him about it one time. He said, yeah, I used to. And he teared up. And he was a very emotional guy too. And teared up and was, yeah, I, I can't believe I used to do that. I used to hit my wife. He's a big, he's a giant. He said, I used to hit my wife. But see, when you let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do, he'll change everything, including your thinking. He'll change the way you think and react. He'll change whether you, whether you, he'll help you not lose your temper and do things that are ungodly, he he can change the way you think, and you can go down any kind of area of of of, of human existence. He can change it. He can change it if we'll let him. But we got to let him. We got to get to the point where you say, okay, then he can change my thinking. Then after he changes the way you think, then you will learn to know. God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. It's a time frame. You will learn over time. Once you've allowed the Holy Spirit to change your thinking, you will begin to learn God's will. This is one of the things I've had conversations, and you can use this to witness to people. When they say, "Well, how do you hear God's voice?" or "How do you, how do you um, know God's will?" or anything, the, the first place to start to know God's will is get in where God is. Let the Holy Spirit be in charge of you, as as the as the G as Jesus says it. Um, that He will be in you and you in Him. When, when we let the Lord be in charge of our life, then we will begin to learn God's will. It, it, there's so many times when we try to stand outside of that. And I have this conversation with people that you can't, you can't know God's will like you need to when you stand on the outside. You're looking in and saying, "Hey, is God in there? What's God's will for me?" Well, get in there with Him, and you'll know. He'll you'll hear His voice. You'll you'll be connected with Him, and you'll learn. You'll you'll develop an understanding of who God's will is, uh, who God is, and what His will is for you. This is this is the way I always say it when somebody says, "I need to know God's will, especially for a big subject. I need to know God's will. This is coming up. I'm I'm a, I'm a life change job or something. Whatever. Um, I need to know God's will. How do I do that?" I always tell them, I don't know. Part of the reason that people ask me the question is because as a pastor, I'm like supposed to know these things. Right? So so if Mickey comes to me and says, uh, what's God's will for my life? Well, wait a second. Okay, I have it for you. No. that's In fact, I, I would be careful if the, if you come across people that think that way. And by the way, I, I know people that think that way. Well, you're the... You're the man of God. Or they'll call up somebody, hey, uh, what's God telling you about me right now? What? You can also, there's a, there's a 999 number you can call for that too. I don't know if that, what is it? I don't know if it's nine. You can call psychics for that. I mean, that's how we treat Christians sometimes. Come on, guys. That's not, that's not how the Lord does stuff. He wants to talk to you. He wants to talk to you about you. He wants to talk to somebody else about you. Usually the only time in Scripture we see God talking to somebody else about somebody is because God told somebody else, hey, go tell them, I'm going to kill them. Do you really want to call somebody up and get that? That's, I'm, look through Scripture, I'm making that up. Almost any time when God said something to somebody else about them, it was, God's killing you or about to, you better get some things right, right? Now, if you want to call me and have me say, I'll do that. but God wants to talk to you about you. I didn't do that but here's what I always tell people if this is a really big important thing you really need to go God's will um, fast spend a week fasting and praying see that's a long time well maybe it's not that important I don't know it's your your life not mine is this really really important is this do you absolutely need to know the answer to this fast an entire week and, and you'll know spend all that week fasting and praying you'll know now, just to throw some things out, because we get some misconceptions about fasting. Um, one is this is the most common misconception I've had over the years, is people think that fasting, I used to think this, that fasting was going to be this great spiritual, wonderful, pleasing week. It is not. Here's, here's what happens when you're fasting: you're hungry. That's like, that's it. It's not, it's not spiritual moments. You know when the spiritual moment happens? When you're done fasting, and then, you know, you go eat a cheeseburger or something. For some reason, when I finish fasting, I always end up at like at a Mexican restaurant. I do not suggest that. But in fact, I strongly say don't do that, but I can't help it. But either way, um, when you're finished fasting and you pray later that day, you'd be amazed at how God's right here. And he's connecting. You feel his presence and you're praying in the spirit like you're like, wow, this thing's on steroids. Why? Because you spent that time praying and fasting. It's not during the praying and fasting that it happens. Here's what always happens with me. Um, when, I, when I fast, I don't always eat breakfast. Lynn and I go through seasons where we'll eat breakfast together, and then we won't, and then we will well, I don't always eat breakfast, and I don't always eat lunch, and sometimes the first time I eat is like dinner time. That, that's actually p- fairly common. You're like, wow, you're kind of a big guy for that time. Well, I really make up for it at dinner time. So... But I don't, I don't always eat during the day, and I'm not hungry. It's not like I'm, I just don't even think about it. As long as i got some coffee, I'm fine. I'm not. Hungry. But I'm praying Sunday night, and I say, okay, God, I'm going to fast this week. Give me a good week and show me some things I really need you to speak to me about. When I wake up, 6.30 in the morning, Monday morning, I'm so hungry I'm eating my pillow. I haven't even started fasting yet. But there's a spiritual thing going on. And by Wednesday afternoon, I got a headache so bad I can't hardly see straight. Because not only is something going on spiritually, but something's going on physically. Physiologically, there's a lot of things happening. Your body is releasing, draining itself, cleaning itself, cleansing itself of chemicals. Things like caffeine. Stuff like that. And that gives you headaches. Because have people say, well, fasting, if I'm fasting, why am I having a headache? Because you're not eating. Your body doesn't like that. Your body begins to say things like, hey, are you listening? Hey, I'll give you a headache. Then you'll pay attention. But I've done it where I get up Thursday morning. Thursday at lunch, I could literally walk in an all-you-can-eat Mexican buffet and not be tempted. Wednesday night, if I think there is bacon in our house, I will eat through the refrigerator door to get it. Because why? There's a bunch of stuff going on physically, but those mirror things that are going on spiritually. All of a sudden, your flesh is no longer in control. Your body's not in control anymore. And you're now the one that is listening to God in a spiritual way that your body usually tries to contradict. I'm not saying your body is inherently evil by itself, but flesh is limited to flesh, and flesh likes things. And sometimes it's important for us to say to this human existence, you're not in charge, I'm going to listen to God. That's what fasting does. And the more you do that, God says, okay, now, now you're getting to where I can speak to you. It's not like God's not trying to speak all the time. He is. But we can't hear it because we got too much bacon grease in our brain. Right? Okay. Somebody like, oh, I know, that's true. All right. First thing, let's desire... True blessing, God's, not what we think. The second thing, your entire existence is required. When he says crawl upon the altar, be a living sacrifice, that's everything. That's not some things, that's everything. Your entire existence is required. The last thing, the third thing is, is you will learn God's perfect and pleasing will. It's not instant. You will begin to learn. Once you become a living sacrifice, you will begin to learn God's will. We've got we've to get our mind, our spirit, and our existence in the right place So that we can listen and learn in what God is trying to tell us. Let me show you one more uh, little video clip here from uh, this guy Jordan Peterson I've been looking at the last few weeks. Um, Again, um, this is later on. I showed you the same clip three weeks and some other clips the first week. But but, um, this is a different place. This is more toward the end of this uh, talk that he's given. And he is um, actually talking about the Bible. Again, he's an atheist. But he's talking about the Bible and he's talking about Jacob and, and Jacob wrestling with God and what that means. And I love this little part. Let's look at this. You're struggling with yourself, you're struggling with the world. To, to, to portray that as wrestling with God, that's perfectly reasonable from a metaphoric perspective. Um, and the idea that that's what characterizes the true people of God is that willingness to wrestle. That's really something, because it, 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 it kind of indicates that you're here as a contender, you know? You're not here to be happy. You're not here to be complacent. You're not here to be materially satisfied. Not that that would be possible. Anyways, but that you're here to contend with the structure of reality, right? And that's what will satisfy you. Because there's something to you. You know, you're not weak and nothing. There's something to you. There's suddenly something malevolent and terrible. I mean, you know that. I've often thought about what he's saying there from many, many different perspectives. But I can't imagine spending your whole life not striving for something, not fighting for something, not trying to establish some kind of substance to yourself and working towards some being, and, and, and I know society may define this differently, but I'm saying like be something, be important or whatever, not the way society, society thinks if you're like on TV or you're a, or a sports star, or whatever, you're, you're something. I, I think that is like the least. I, I mean, you look at the totem pole of importance in life, pro athletes are not high on that scale. I'm not picking on them as people. I'm picking on what they do. So they play. I love baseball. I I watch every Rockies game possible, and I, I like these guys. But in the big scheme of life, all you're doing is throwing a baseball around? Don't you think that there are people sitting right in this room that are doing more for humanity and life? Now, what is good is when those same guys then have this side life where they're doing all this other stuff with that platform and that money and everything. That's amazing. That's awesome. But just I'm going to throw a baseball around so I can live a grand lifestyle, it's almost a waste. Do something that affects people somehow. Do something that, I, 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 I had a friend of mine that was a plumber one time and talked about this quite a bit. He said, I help people every single day. I'm like, okay, whatever. And then I had a toilet stopped up. I'm like, this guy is an angel of the Lord right? We can affect people. We can do things. Just living for the Lord, just doing stuff. I, I, think, I think we need to learn to, to wrestle this out and fight through. And I'm saying specifically with God, get in there and wrestle this out with God. God, who am I? What am I here for? I don't want to be insignificant. I don't want to just live my life. I want to do something. I want to be something. But, and here's where we've got to be careful, don't cheapen it by just doing what you want to do. Don't cheapen God's gifts and abilities by just doing what you want to do. Do what God wants you to do. And that takes this amazingness that is you and it puts it on this this path toward the greatness that God has designed for you. Regardless of how society defines greatness, that is irrelevant. It's how God defines it. And the path that you're on toward the greatness that God has for you. You can do that every single day. Every day get up saying, I'm going to... I'm going to wrestle this out with God today. God, I'm not letting go of you till you bless me. I'm not letting go. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize, so run to win. Run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. We're running for Jesus Christ. Our, our finish line is the arms of Jesus when we cross that, we, we wrap up with Jesus. That's what we're running toward. Everything should, should be in that context. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadowboxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. I want my mind, my spirit, my body to do what God has designed me to do. And I'm going to work toward that. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. I want to throw something out here. We talked about this the men's breakfast yesterday, and I and I um, I'm going to talk about more about this this next week, um, but I, but I want to throw this out here. This is this is so heavy on my heart, and I'm I'm about to be a lot more revelatory than you probably want. But there is a lot of stuff going on in our church right now. Things people are struggling with stuff, um, addictions. Right now in our church, there are. Alcohol, alcoholics struggling with alcoholism. Drug addicts struggling with drug addiction. There are people that are struggling with pornography. And, you, and, and I'm not, by the way, I'm not saying this. Let me make sure that this is clear. I'm not saying that this is statistically what's going on. I'm saying, as I'm saying these things, there are people, their faces are in my mind as I'm saying this. I'm talking about real people in church at Briargate. They're struggling with this stuff. Now, before you get nervous, because some of you are in this room, before you get nervous, I'm not about to say, stand up. That's not where I'm going with this, okay? What I'm saying is, is these are real issues that we're dealing with, and it's all across our church. There are, there are, there are issues, just, if you just back up six to nine months in our church, that time frame, there are marriages that are falling apart because of pornography, because of adultery going on right here in our church. Um, you say, why, why are you saying all this? This is a lot more than we want to know. Here's, here's two or three reasons why. The first reason is you need to know. You need to know. Secondly, because some of you are them. And so there's more to this. Let, let me throw this in here as a little side thing too. There's always a group of people, and there are in our church also, that think this stuff doesn't happen. Okay? As nice as I can say this, stop being naive and grow up a little bit. This is happening and it's happening with all of us all the time. Stop pretending like it doesn't happen so you can have this nice little, uh, quaint little Christianity that never gets messy and you don't ever have to interact with anybody. Get out of that fake little world and get into the real world where Jesus is really trying to do some changing in people's lives. Okay? That was just a free little side note. The, 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 The part of this is, I'm going to tell you what I told the guys at our breakfast, because I want to ask you to do the same thing, and here's the reason why. Because we need each other to help each other. Because we need each other more than we're being there for each other. This is why I've been pushing so much to all of the men in our church. You've got to have accountability partners. I'm not polite about this, ashamed about this. I'm not asking whether this is a good idea. I know this is what we have to do as men is we have to get prayer partners. We have to get accountability partners because we are falling apart as human beings and within Church of Parking, we're hurting, we're dying, we're falling apart. There's so many things that are attacking us. How many, how many times do our marriages have to be busted up? How many, how many rehabs do I have to go visit before somebody says, oh, I'm going to get an accountability partner? S-s-s- how many times do, do we just say this? I, I've been saying this for month after month after month. And there's some of you still that th- you, you're just not going to do it. Stop being immature and start doing some of this stuff. We need each other, and, and we're dying and saying, no, I'm good, I'm, I'm good, I'm, I've got this. No, you, well, we don't have this, and we need each other. This is what I asked the men to do yesterday. I want to ask all of us here to do this. Take your phone, take your smartphone, and I would like to see you do this before you leave this morning. Put a reminder in your phone. If you don't know how to do that, talk to somebody that can help you, Okay? Ask any of these guys, um, they'll help you. But put a reminder in your phone that every day at a certain amount of time, maybe twice a day, but at least just once a day, at a certain time when you know it's going to be beneficial and good for you, we're all different. Find a time that you know this will work. Put a reminder in your phone that says pray for the church. What I asked the guys yesterday was pray for the guys. And then think about the men in the church. Even if you don't know names, you can know faces, pray for that man. Pray for his, his existence, his family, his marriage. Why? Because we're really struggling, guys. We're really struggling, and we need to lift each other up. We've got to be there for each other. Pray for each other. Put a reminder in your phone. Every day at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, pray for Pray for whoever. Pray for the ladies. Pray for the children. Something. Pray. And then spend a little time just thinking around through the church. And here's another thing is, when you're walking through the church and you don't know somebody, ask them their name so you can remember to pray for them that week. You say, well, I've been going to church for two years and I still don't know their name. They won't be upset. Ask them their name and pray for them. This is one of those things where I just, I don't understand. We're so scared to death to let people know what's going on in our life. Of all those things that I've mentioned, only a few of those are known by the entire body. And I have these conversations with people and I tell them, why don't you, why don't you confess this to somebody? I don't want somebody to know. Well, they'll judge me. Okay, they're judging you already. They judged what you wore when you walked in. It's, it's subconscious. We do this with everybody. They judge the, the way you looked at them. They the that well, you, you bought a coffee. If it had caramel on it, they think you, you're a sweet tooth. I mean, there's all kinds of judging going on. Here's what I would say. If I'm struggling, my marriage is messed up, and all these things, I would rather somebody judge me as long as you pray for me. Judge me all you want. I really don't care about that, but pray for me. If you'll do that, okay, judge me too. But pray for me. Because we need to be praying for each other. We need this. All right, I've gone too long. Stand with me if you would. Let's pray. Lord, we humble ourselves before you, we humble ourselves before the King. You're the ruler, you're the King, you're the Lord of everything. Lord, we need you to cut through all the stuff of our existence, and Lord, help us to get our eyes completely on you, the prize, completely on you, and chase after you. Lord, we need this. God, tear down the walls that we build up that keeps us from accepting what you want for us. Lord, help us to run singularly with the prize in mind, that we are not going to let you go until you bless us. We pray like David. Holy Spirit, don't pass me by. Lord, I want you. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray that all across this room, God, the stuff that that we're dealing with, we need you Lord, we need to wrestle with you and stop looking like the world. Stop chasing the customs of the world. And Lord, look like you. In the name of Jesus. So, Lord, I plead your blood over every one of us here. Plead your blood over every person, their mind. Heart, their spirit. I pray over every couple, every married couple that your blood would cover them in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray over us as a body. Help us not to be critical of each other and pick on each other. Help us to pursue you. Pursue you. Let me ask you this question. and With a raise of hands, show me, show me your commitment to this. But how many of you can make a promise right now? I will put it in my phone and I will pray at least once a day for the people of the church. Raise your hand. Say, I can do that. We'll do that. Because we need it. I need it. Please pray for me too. I mean, I'll pray for you. You pray for me. It'd be great. That's what we're supposed to be about. And so before you leave today, if you if you if um, there's somebody in the room, you forgot their name or you don't remember what, just go and talk to them. Maybe somebody you've never talked to before. Get their name so that you can remember to pray for them through sometime through the week, through one of these days, one of these moments, right? Right, God bless us with you. Bless us with your spirit and with each other. Bless us with spiritual health, God, we need you. Emotional, relational health, mental health, we need you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to minister to somebody, talk to them, witness to them, pray for them, Something God, honor in your life. It's a guarantee he will. So shake somebody's hand. Ask them their name. Before you leave here, put it in your phone when you're going to pray for people. Have a great rest of your afternoon. We'll see you Wednesday night.